And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey, everybody, and welcome to our athletic hockey show trade deadline live edition of the podcast. Ian Mendes, Haley Salvian with you. And yeah, we're live for this uh, just past two o'clock Eastern time on this trade deadline Monday. We might be a little bit sleep deprived because the couple of teams that we cover happen to make some deals late last night and Haley before we get to that and I think we had a little bit of fun with the fact that Calgary and Ottawa made some deals um, I gotta tell you this has actually been a little bit more of an exciting trade deadline period than I think I had anticipated you know going into this all I heard was flat cap and nobody's got money and there's not going to be there's it's a buyer's market but guess what in the last 72 hours or so we've seen the likes of David Savard and Nick Felino and Jeff Carter uh, and Taylor Hall like some legitimately big names have been moved and I would say um, and maybe because we had the expectations a little bit lower this hasn't been an underwhelming trade deadline for me I don't know how you felt about the last uh, 72 hours or so Well, I think the key term that you said is trade deadline period. I think if you were to look at this from a trade deadline day perspective um, for people who are maybe doing five hour long broadcasts about the entire day, then maybe today specifically has been a little bit slow. We've seen a couple of deals, a few more minor ones. Um, But obviously, when you look at the whole body of what's happened at this trade deadline period, then yes, there has been a lot more movement. Um, You know, we've seen the Taylor Hall trade. We saw Nick Foligno. We saw David Riddick, Mike Riley. There has been a lot more Jeff Carter. There's been a lot more happening than I think, as you said, we initially thought, but they haven't been on deadline day. I think I made the joke twice of, oh, is today the trade deadline? I, I did it like two days in a row because things had started happening before actual deadline day. But you know, I, I understand getting a little bit of a head start, you know, especially when there's quarantines. I mean, it's only a day or so for some of these teams, but definitely there's been more movement than I think we initially thought because initially I, I think we both thought and a lot of people thought that this was going to be a very quiet trade deadline. 
And we're going to have our roster of uh, athletic writers join us throughout the course of this show. We're going to get to you about uh, 90 minutes worth. We'll take you to about 3.30 Eastern time. And of course, if something significant or seismic happens, uh, we'll be sure to uh, to, to kind of break that all down. Now, I know the way that your schedule works today, it just so happens that the general manager of the team that you cover, Brad Treliving, um, is, uh, is of speaking to the media at 3 Eastern time, 1 o'clock Mountain. So the way we're going to do this, just so, so our uh, audience is aware and our listeners are aware, you are going to uh, jump out uh, just at the top of the hour here, and we're going to make a trade. Uh, the co-host of the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show podcast, Scott Burnside, is going to slide in. So we're going to have Scott Burnside come in for the last 30 minutes, but the team that you do cover, Haley, the Calgary Flames, made a trade yesterday. Do you expect them to be active at all? Like, Do you think Sam Bennett, could be on the move here in the next uh, hour or so. Well, yeah, I think that the Calgary Flames are probably trying to be active, but I think the one, you know, thing that a lot of us here in the market have discussed is, you know, when you look at maybe some of the, you know, at the draft, teams have their draft boards. They have their list of players that they really want. I think, unfortunately, if you're the Calgary Flames, some of their unrestricted free agents are probably not at the top of their trade board. So I think with the flames, they're kind of waiting to see, you know, who has interest in their players, who maybe falls through, um, what, what contenders are still looking to add pieces because what the flames continue to have to offer, um, after David Riddick is, you know, a lot of depth pieces, players like Derek Ryan, Joachim Nordstrom, um, Josh Levo, Sam Bennett is an option as well. He is a restricted free agent this year, and he's somebody who did ask for a trade at the beginning of the season, just a couple of weeks into, you know, this year with the Calgary Flames. So, you know, we've been talking about a Sam Bennett trade for a while now. It feels like we've been talking about it all season because we have, and he's definitely an option. I think if there's a team who's looking for, you know, a player who can play really well in the playoffs, we've all heard and seen playoff Sam Bennett. That is very valuable. And, and the Flames are in a position where they could retain salary. Sam Bennett doesn't have a huge cap hit. It's about 2.25 million. I don't have it up in front of me right now, but it's it's under $3 million. So it's a fair salary. If you retain, then it's not going to be too too much for a team acquiring Sam Bennett and, and he's a guy who can be very versatile in your bottom six he can play all three positions he's done so with Daryl Sutter he's played left wing right wing center he's been on the third line he's been on the fourth line um you know he had a really really slow start to the season he had you know three goals and, and six points in his first 32 games but he now has you know six points in his last six games and you know he's been put on the power play, put on the PK. He's been given more opportunity and he's been given more confidence from his coach. And we're starting to see that through his play. So Sam Bennett's been a player that's been identified as somebody who maybe given a change of scenery, he could start being playoff Sam Bennett in the regular season and help a team in the postseason. So he's definitely an option for contenders looking to add something to their, you know, bottom six or middle six. Well, the Toronto Maple Leafs added to their bottom six, middle six, by picking up Nick Foligno uh, over the weekend, uh, giving up a first-round pick. Jonas Siegel, who covers the Maple Leafs, is going to be our first guest coming up here in about 10 minutes from now. A little later this hour, uh, we're going to go to Boston, and we're going to go to San Jose, and we're going to go uh, to a couple of other hot spots around the National Hockey League using, as I mentioned, our roster of reporters uh, with The Athletic. And it's a great opportunity for us to talk about where teams are at do we think anybody has improved themselves? And I, I'm really interested here, Haley, to, to, to hear from general managers 
when they speak to the media in the next hour or two hours, how much of an impact do you think the Seattle expansion draft has had on people's decision-making? Because I think that's the unseen hand in all of this. Well, it's huge. And, and I did a one-on-one -on -one with general manager Brad Tree living here in Calgary a couple of weeks ago. And, and I asked him, you know, with all of the considerations going into this trade deadline with the flat cap, with the quarantine, you know, how difficult is it to, to make moves this year? And, and he even said, you know, Seattle is a big part of that. You know, we're not trying to make excuses. We're going to, we're going to make some moves to improve our team, get some assets, but there's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration this year. And, and Seattle is front of mind. And Brad tree living has said, you know, there's been many, many conversations, you know, with, Seattle with everything because you know you don't want to go and make a trade for a player that you cannot protect and then you just lose him to Seattle because then you're giving up an asset for a guy that you're going to lose for nothing or do you go and trade for a player and then you have to protect said player and then you lose somebody else that you didn't want to you know we all did those who says no stories here at the athletic and and one of the ones that made sense in a way, in theory for the Flames and the Minnesota Wild was, you know, a Sean Monahan, Matt Dumba type trade. Because when you look at the Minnesota Wilds, they have three defensemen with full no move clauses. And Matt Dumba is not one of them. So there's been this belief that Dumba could be on the move because he's probably going to get taken by Seattle because they cannot protect who is a very good defenseman. But if you're the Calgary Flames, do you go and trade for Matt Dumba? And then you cannot, and then you can't protect him, or you can't protect Chris Tanev, Mark Giordano, Rasmus Anderson, or Noah Hannafin. Um, so it, it's there's a lot of considerations, and I think Seattle is a very big one. Um, so I think there's probably been a lot of phone calls with with the management group in Seattle saying, "Hey, if I go and acquire this guy, can we make some kind of side deal that you do not take him, <laughs> or you know what can we work out together?" to make sure that I can make this deal and be fine in expansion. So I think, you know, if we go around the league and, and ask this question of general managers, I think Seattle has been probably a really, really big part of what's happening at this deadline. See, now I'm just picturing uh, Seattle general manager, Ron Francis, sitting in a big leather chair, maybe with a cat Two on phones. his lap. Just <laughs> like, like the, he's the evil genius. And people are phoning him and he's like, hello. And <laughs> He's got all the power uh, sitting there. I think general managers certainly learned, though, Haley, from what happened with the Vegas draft. What a difference a couple of years makes, right? I think a lot of general managers went into the uh, the Vegas draft in 2017 and didn't quite realize the implications that uh, were uh, that were afoot and basically made Vegas a ready-made Stanley Cup contender. This time, I think general managers are going in with their eyes wide open. So uh, that's a great point that you raised, that they might be looking over to uh, uh, Seattle already and thinking, how can I make some moves and protect myself? Um, but I also love that when I hear people say, well, uh, the general manager would like to make a hockey trade. Like, really? Because uh, uh, what, were you trying to get Kawhi Leonard? Like, of course you're making a hockey trade. Come on. Like, it's you're making a hockey yeah. trade. I get it. But I don't know if this is the time to do it, if after the season is the time. Again, probably just before that Seattle draft. I think it's going to be – I almost think that the Seattle expansion draft is going to – we're going to see more activity around that than we might see on a day like today. And But I'll still say today hasn't been underwhelming or the last 72 hours hasn't been underwhelming for me. 
Yeah, it's the last 72 hours. I mean, today has been interesting for me personally, and we discussed this before we started, but uh, our colleague Dom Luschishin, um got locked out of his Twitter account on trade deadline day. So I get a text this morning saying, hey, do you want to be chart girl for the day? Because I can't log into my Twitter account. <laughs> so as we are doing the podcast, I am also, we can see for anyone watching, you can the glare is terrible. You can't actually see it for those listening no. or watching. Uh, Dom has been sending me his charts with his witty banter to go along with it. Um, he is very critical already. You know, he's a lot more harsh than I am. So I've had to distill things down from the way that Dom would say it. Um, and, you know, he got mad at me for using capital letters because apparently when he does his charts, he only does all lowercase. So it's been a learning curve for me today. Um, busy day with the trade deadline. I'm doing charts. I'm doing the broadcast and the podcast and covering the flames. So, you know, there hasn't been that much happening in the league, but there's a lot happening here in my condo building today. Yeah, Wearing many and, hats today. Well, I'd <laughs> like to know how our resident statistical guru, Dom, uh, got locked out of his Twitter account. Yeah, I think someone probably tried to hack into his account. I know some people were joking around and saying that, his like overly aggressive hatred of the Hall trade is probably what got him booted because he right. was not happy yesterday. If you take a look through his timeline, he was pretty heated. So some people thought it was funny. It was like you were so angry that Twitter said we need to give this guy a break. <laughs> but yeah. I think it, there was probably some kind of compromise to the account. So just hopeful that you know he's able to get back in and everything's fine. But it is funny to think that it was his anger over the whole deal that got yeah. him booted off Twitter, of all things. Well, I think it's pretty interesting when you look at, uh, like, his initial report card uh, that he did of the deal was, uh, uh, you know, he didn't pull any punches and given no. Buffalo, like, an F, uh, I think maybe F minus on the deal. And we do want to remind you that if you head on over to The Athletic, if you're one of our subscribers, you do get the opportunity to get those real-time report cards right away. Uh, the beat writers are, are making assessments on the deals. Uh, and as well, Sean McIndoo, who's Down Goes Brown, Sean Gentile, uh, they've got a live blog going all day, kind of taking more of a humorous look, though, Haley, at some of the deals that have uh, have gone on. So it's a, it's a really active day for uh, all of us, but it's a fun day. It feels good, too, because I think there's been so few days on the NHL calendar that have felt, quote unquote, normal to us. Mm -hmm. Kind of being around the, the trade deadline feels pretty good. Where do you stand on the idea, Haley? I've seen this thrown out by a number of people saying, you know what? The NHL should not have any games on trade deadline day. Trade deadline day, it's unfair to the players. It's unfair to everybody. You know what? Don't play games on trade deadline day. Have it a clear day on the schedule and allow players to not have to worry about the distractions of a game. Yeah, I understand that. Um, and I believe last year at the trade deadline, we asked quite a few of the Sens players about that too. And I think it depends who you talk to. I think you know, you talk to some coaches and some players about the trade deadline and they say, you know, it's just a business. You know, we try to filter it out. Of course, there's going to be players in different situations who feel more anxiety about this day, um, you know, or it's a lot more personal for players. You know, I think everyone handles it differently. I think it's an emotional day for some players. Um, you know, I, I think that you you think back to, again, with Ottawa last year, you know, there's a lot of players who, it was a tough day seeing Jean-Gabriel Pajot leave, not just for the players, but for the equipment staff, the trainers, the coaches. Like that was, I remember walking to the rink, it, like it's just to see how, the way that the world has changed too. I mean, the, this 
the trade deadline last year was not only months ago, but I was in Columbus, like sprinting from my hotel room. I'm passing Vlad Nemesnikov on the street who just got traded saying goodbye, saying, you know, good luck in Colorado. Then you're trying to get into the arena. You're seeing Pajot's bags get packed up and the equipment guys like moving his bag onto the, onto the bus and finding a way to get him out, get him back to the hotel. Like that's a tough day for everyone across the board, depending on who the player is. So I totally understand that. Um, but I'm sure there's a lot of players and coaches who, if you would ask that question, they would say, no, nah, it's just a business. Like we're going to play. Yeah, no, it's a, it's really interesting to see. So um, I'll tell you what, as we, uh, we talk about the deals that have, have, have gone down, I think one of the biggest ones, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, kind of reaching back a little bit into their past because uh, Mike Foligno was a part of those uh, great teams under Pat Burns in the early 1990s, got to conference finals uh, with him in 1993. They're hoping maybe this can be, um, you know, Foligno 2.0, get them into the final four. Jonas Siegel is uh, one of our... Uh, uh, members who covers the Toronto Maple Leafs for The Athletic. I think uh, Jonas is all set uh, to join us here in this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show podcast. There he is. Jonas, welcome to the show. How has the last 24 hours been for you as the Toronto Maple Leafs have been uh, a pretty active player here? I think what's been good for us is like we've been kind of expecting a lot of the stuff that they've done. Like we we talked about like this forward that they needed basically – since the early days of the season, like someone that could play in their top nine, someone who could play in their top line, play in their second line, kill penalties, play in the power play. And Nick Foligno kind of checks a lot of those boxes. I think it's a really interesting kind of play for them in that he fits in the mold of what they did in the offseason. Someone with experience, someone with some grit, someone who can, you know, maybe raise his temperature in the playoffs uh, the question is, is it enough? And and obviously they're they're kind of boxed in a little bit by Frederick Anderson and his kind of uncertain status for the rest of the season. But I think Nick Foligno's an upgrade on what they have. It's just, is he the right upgrade is going to be the question. Was this something that was in your kind of ballpark? Was he somebody that you kind of highlighted as a player who could help the Toronto Maple Leafs? Or did this come out of left field a little bit for you? No, it's funny, like, James and I, uh, James Myrtle and I did a, a list of targets for the Leafs. Like it might have been a month ago, and when we did it, we looked at Felino and we kind of came to the conclusion like Columbus is in it. Like if they're going to be right around this mix, like they've been in past years, they're probably not going to trade their captain. And then obviously their season has changed, uh, and he kind of became more of someone you could envision them going after. He just fits a lot of the the stuff that they've been talking about. Like they went into the off season, guys after last year after that playoff series with Columbus and said, like, we have to kind of change our element a little bit. We kind of need to become more competitive. We need to be tougher to play against. And obviously guys like Zach Bogosian, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, and now Nick Foligno, they really fit that. It was just going to be whether whether he was available. And that was kind of the box that, you know, Kyle Dubas and a lot of the GMs across the league were in is, is how many teams were selling and how many teams were, like, clear sellers. And obviously – Columbus with all the injuries that they've had and, and some of the struggles that they've had on the ice became a clear seller. You know, Jonas, one of the things I, I think I sent you and James Myrtle a note yesterday, one of the memories I have of Nick Foligno is him telling me years ago when he was about four years old, he has some of his earliest memories are going into Pat Burns's office at the old Maple Leaf Gardens and Pat used to always have candy for him. And, uh, you know, he would come and hang out because his dad, Mike, played for uh, the Maple Leafs and Pat Burns. How much is that storyline and angle play being played up in Toronto? And how cool is it 
that Nick Felino looks like he's going to wear his old, uh, his dad's old number 71. Oh, it's going to be a huge story. Like, you know how these things go. Like, this is, this is great. They're going to be able to go on the broadcast and like take videos of his dad. And then they're going to be able to put the side by side with Nick. And like, it helps, like you guys know this working in media, he's a fantastic quote and a fantastic talker. Like if this guy doesn't go into media after he's done, like it's a, it's a shame for media, uh, but it's going to be a big story. And, and, and I think he's the right kind of personality for it. Like, it's interesting, like the 71 thing, um, when they signed David Clarkson all those years ago, um, there was all this talk about like Wendell Clark and like David Clarkson like leaned into it and he obviously took the number 71 and it was like almost creating too much of like this mythology about who he was and what he was going to contribute. It's not like that, obviously, with Nick Foligno, like he's so secure and comfortable in the league and he's been around for so long. And obviously he's grown up around the rank and the Leafs have a lot of guys like that. Like obviously William Nealander, I'm trying to think who else um, his dad has played in the NHL, but it's, it's not one. So they've kind of got that, those hockey bloodlines running throughout their room. Looking at, and, and you mentioned earlier about Freddie Anderson and, you know, is this going to be enough for the Toronto Maple Leafs? The Leafs go out and sign David Riddick from the Calgary or trade, excuse me, for David Riddick from the Calgary Flames. Is there an expectation that Dave is going to be playing as a number two until Freddie can come back? Um, I guess, what does this mean for the Leafs goaltending situation? I think you hit on it. I think he's going to be the number two until, until they get Frederick Anderson back. Like they keep saying he's going to be back and like all the whispers and such like from the team are that they're expecting him back at some point. But the reality is, is he hasn't been on the ice in three plus weeks. Uh, and he was really struggling with an injury before that. He was struggling with his play. So I don't think they think they can really expect anything from him at this point. So they need insurance. They need someone who's better than Michael Hutchinson. And like you can debate whether David Rich is, is better than Michael Hutchinson. I think he is. I just think it's an it's a little more experience just in case. Because the other thing is like Jack Campbell's gone on this crazy run. Uh, he goes for 12 and 0 tonight, which is is nuts. But he's battled like his own injury issues, and that's like something that they're still managing. So just to have a, another guy who can play in the league uh, and and can play if they actually need him, uh, I think is what they were after. Well, you know, and I think oh, sorry, and I think the one thing I'll I'll just jump in and say, I mean, it, it's and I had this conversation with someone earlier today. It's very strikingly similar the situation that the Leafs are in at that the Colorado Avalanche were in last year, where yes. you're two injuries away from having Mike Hutchinson, very nice guy. I covered him with the Marlies, <laughs> no disrespect, but you're you're two injuries away from having Hutch in Game Seven of the first or second round of the playoffs, and you know I don't think that the situation the Leafs after making so many moves, making so many big signings, they want to find themselves in. No, and you don't want to be looking at that situation. Like, and we're coming out of whatever, game four against Edmonton, and Hutchinson has just had a rough night saying, man, too bad we didn't give up that third round pick just to have a little bit more security. Like, you just do it. You're trying to win a cup. Uh, Jonas, before we let you go, uh, Haley and I love to do a little segment called Multiple Choice Madness on the Athletic Hockey Show. So I'm going to fire a multiple choice question at you uh, before we let you go. Uh, Jonas, what member of the Toronto Maple Leafs do you think will feel the most intense heat slash pressure slash scrutiny as the Stanley Cup playoffs start? Is it A, general manager Cal Dubas, B, head coach Sheldon Keefe, C, team captain John Tavares, or D, whoever's the goalie? 
either Jack Campbell or Freddie Anderson? I think it's the goalie because like either way, Jack Campbell has never started or appeared in an NHL playoff game. So if, if he's the guy, that's that's pressure. Frederick Anderson has, has had this rough year. He's really had his struggles in the playoffs, obviously. So if he's the guy, that's a lot of pressure. It's going to be the goalies. Obviously, there's pressure on Kyle Dubas for the team to perform. They need to get out of the first round. They need to, to have some tangible progress. But, man, the, the goalies, until they can kind of show it in the postseason, they're going to be feeling the most heat for sure. Well, listen, Jonas, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to kind of walk us through Toronto's perspective here on trade deadline day. Uh, appreciate the time. Enjoy that game tonight as Jack Campbell tries to go for 12-0, and 0, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. Thanks, guys. I love the show. Yeah, there you go. Jonas Siegel, one of the best. And you know, Haley, uh, that deal could not have happened if the San Jose Sharks did not get involved in the uh, the Nick Foligno trade. When we come back on the other side, our man who covers the Sharks, Kevin Kurz, will join us to talk about how things are going in San Jose. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, Haley, as we uh, close in on uh, 3 o'clock Eastern time, about 35 minutes to go until the deadline. Uh, I guess technically we have to say good morning. To our next guest, because it hasn't quite hit 12 noon Pacific time. Kevin Kurz does a fantastic job covering the San Jose Sharks. And you know, Kevin, I wish we were just bringing you on to talk about your mascot story from a couple weeks ago. Oh, the yeah. Sh- Sharky <laughs> gets stuck in the rafters, man. That was great. Yeah, thanks. that was a fun one. Yeah, that's 20. That's way before I got here. But it's one of those things that it, it, it seems to resonate with the fan base and with people that were involved for whatever reason. I guess just because it was so weird. <laughs> well, hey, listen, it was a little bit weird to see the San Jose Sharks get involved in the trade deadline stuff, but not really for a player, but more to take on some salary, kind of be a third party in that deal with Nick Foligno uh, going from Columbus to Toronto. What was your sense of just that move in particular and, and San Jose taking on some salary to get a uh, to get a pick? Yeah, it's, it's not all that surprising. They've sort of been telegraphing this, what they were going to try and do Um since really the beginning of the month, Joe Will, the assistant general manager, said so. And then when we spoke to Doug Wilson after the Devin Dubnik trade, he suggested it again. So, um, you know, they've left themselves this they left themselves this cap space and it was by design. You know, they, they could have maybe been a little bit more aggressive in free agency in the offseason. But just based on where the team is right now in this, you know, transitional reset season, whatever you want to call it. Um, that cap, cap space was more valuable to gain assets. And then, you know, we'll see what they can do with some of these assets um, in the draft. And, you know, you go back to last draft, they had nine picks. I believe it was nine. Um, but whatever it was, they used them all on forwards. And um, they didn't trade any out. 
they still have the second round pick this year still belongs to Ottawa Senators as the final piece of the Eric Carlson trade. So, you know, they're in a mode right now where they're just trying to I think restock the system and integrate some young players into the NHL lineup while also again, building up, uh, collecting more assets and trying to build the system up. And Kevin, you mentioned, you know, that this has been a bit of a transitional season for the San Jose Sharks. What does this move and the Dubnik trade, you know, trading away their starter, what does this signal to you about the direction of the San Jose Sharks? Yeah, it's a good question because Dubnik was really the only other NHL-ready goalie they had in the system. And, you know, on the ice, he wasn't really lighting it up, I guess. Uh, You know, look at his numbers. They weren't exactly outstanding. But um, he was a guy they brought in, and, and they've talked so much about the culture in this dressing room, and it was off last season with the departure of Joe Pavelski. They lost so many games early, coaching change. No one was on the right page. So I think first and foremost, they wanted to reestablish the culture here, and they have taken some strides in that direction. And Dubnik was a guy that I think came in and helped. He's a good guy. He's well-liked by his teammates. They brought in some other guys like that, Matt Nieto, who had been here before. And – so they have Dubnik, um, and I think part of the reason he was attractive to the Sharks was because he only had one. He was a you know it was only one year deal. He's a pending UFA. I'm sure they had this in mind that they could maybe flip him for a draft pick or two at the trade deadline, and that's exactly what happened. So now they'll turn to some younger goalies. Yosef uh, Koronar is one. Alexi Melnichuk is another. Not everyday names that people know, but two young goalies in the system. And we're told they're both going to get a shot here down the stretch. So clearly making the playoffs is not at the top of the list for this team this season. No one's going to say that, but let's be honest. Uh, they're going to let these young goalies get in and play, and we'll see what they got. You know, Kevin, so much of uh, San Jose's uh, issues seem to be rooted in having some long-term contracts. They're, like, they're almost handcuffed, right? they got a whole bunch of guys on long-term uh, deals. It's really going to be really difficult to get rid of any of that payroll here at the deadline. Uh, Haley and I were talking about this earlier, that the expansion draft coming up is kind of the unseen hand here. Do you think that there's almost a hope in San Jose that they will end up the- – you know, with the expansion draft, would they potentially expose one of these big ticket guys, hope that Seattle bites and that's a potential route that they could go for getting rid of a contract rather than trying to do something on deadline day? Yeah, I've wondered that, too. Um, and Brent Burns, I think, is the top of the, would be at the top of the list as maybe that that potential guy just because um, he is older. He's 36 years old. He, you know, he has three years left after this one at eight million a year, but he's still an effective player. And really, that's a credit to, to Burns. I think that um, he might be attractive. I think to some other teams. Now, I think you could also say, well, if they're going to expose him, why wouldn't they try to trade him and get something back for him? He has a three-team limited no-trade clause. Um, I, I tried getting out of him the other day if he wants to retire a shark, and uh, I did not have any luck trying to get that uh, trying to get that out of him. Um, so no luck there, but um, I think that's possible uh, because you look at all these expensive contracts and you look at the current core. Um, my opinion is they need they need to make some sort of changes to this core just because they are getting older. I mean, even Logan Couture is in his thirties now. Eric Carlson's thirty, and while those guys could still be good, I, I do think at some point you have to shake it up a little bit. So. Uh, we'll see. You know, Evander Kane's another guy that's having effective season. Could he be someone that maybe would be attractive to um, a Seattle? Because, you know, again, Evander Kane is in the prime of his career. 
Are the Sharks going to compete, be a Stanley Cup contender while he's still in the prime of his career? I, I would argue probably not. I think they're still a couple of years away from from that conversation again. So um, I do think that's fair to wonder. Yeah. And Kevin, you know, we're not too far away from the deadline right now. Is there anything else that we could potentially see the Sharks do before the deadline passes? Yeah, I, I don't know. It was suggested to me earlier this morning that the Sharks might try to add some depth at a low cost. Um, that hasn't happened yet. I know Curtis Gabriel is a guy that they've gotten some calls on, but, um, you know, what are you going to get back for him? Not much. Um, so may, might there be another minor move or two maybe, but uh, in terms of a, a major uh, sort of shakeup, um, like most everyone else, I don't see that happening here. Yeah, and as we wrap up with you, Kevin, just wondering, what, what's the sentiment of the fan base in San Jose? Uh, you kind of alluded to this. San Jose's three points out of a playoff spot. Got a couple games in hand on Arizona. Like, it's not out of the realm of possibility they make the playoffs. Are the fans in San Jose desperately hoping for a playoff uh, berth? Are they thinking, you know what, we need to? it's time for a rebuild here. We'd rather miss the playoffs. What's the mindset of the uh, the typical San Jose Sharks fan right now? Yeah, it really is, I think, kind of 50-50 right now. Um you know, obviously making the playoffs would, would be an accomplishment just because I think this team coming off of a last place finish last season, making the playoffs and even being in the conversation, I do think is a credit to Bob Bugner and the job he's done. They have reset that culture. They have gotten better performances as the season have, has moved along from Evander Kane, Eric Carlson, Martin Jones, all three of whom got off to terrible starts. They're, they've been trending in the right direction. So, um, but at the same time, I, I do think they realize that this team isn't going to compete for a Stanley Cup. If they make the first round, they're probably just going to get smoked by Colorado or Vegas. So it's probably more beneficial if they miss the playoffs and take their chances in the lottery and, and you know come away with maybe a top 10 pick if they get lucky. Well, we appreciate, we feel lucky that we had you with us here, Kevin. Thanks so much for uh, taking a few minutes with us and uh, enjoy the, uh, the rest of your uh, trade deadline day. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Thank Kevin you. Kurz uh, in uh, San Jose. And, uh, you know, anytime I think of, when I say San Jose Sharks trade, the only thing that comes to mind for me, Haley, Joe Thornton. One of the most lopsided trades of all time. No? <laughs> Why? What, when I yeah. say San Jose no, Sharks I, trade, I thought, what comes to mind? I thought you were going to say something about Eric Carlson. That no. Sends guy, no, Carlson. Uh, I just thought I that was trying to segue naturally to our Boston Bruins beat reporter, Fluto Shinzawa, who covers the Bruins. And I was trying to tie in San Jose and Boston. But why don't we do that? We'll bring in Fluto <laughs> right now uh, from Boston, where uh, Taylor Hall, we believe, is en route to your city. Uh, Fluto, first of all, thanks uh, so much for doing this. How's your trade deadline day shaking out so far today? In the, well, in well, yeah. Uh, Taylor is one of three players currently inbound somewhere on the road because we've got uh, him and Curtis Cesar driving somewhere on the Mass Pike or on the throughway to Boston. And then at the same time, we've got uh, up, in, up in your area, Ian, uh, Mike Riley driving somewhere south from Ottawa. So the Bruins have help inbound, which they desperately need after they've taken an 8-1 kicking against Washington last night with a pretty much a JV lineup. So yes, reinforcements very much necessary here in Boston. Yeah. And uh, about a, about a seven hour drive, if uh, there's no issues for Mike Riley to get from Ottawa to Boston. So uh, let's talk about the Taylor Hall deal for a second here, Fluto, because I think a lot of people in the hockey world were looking at this and saying, wow, 
The Boston Bruins got a former Hart Trophy winner without uh, giving up a first-round pick. What's the feeling like in Boston and the fan base as they land Taylor Hall and uh, only give up a second-round pick? Uh, and uh, you know, and and maybe you could tell us a little bit about Anders Bjork as well and where he fit in uh, big picture in Boston. He did not fit in. Five healthy scra- five healthy scratches for Anders going into the trade deadline. Uh, has tons of speed, pretty good shot, but just uh, a poor fit. They tried him on the fourth line, just not heavy enough, not defensively responsible enough, and then just skill in terms of making plays when he got his top nine chances, which were pretty numerous over his years here. And then you look at the other piece that they had to give up to to get Taylor, a second-round pick. Okay, that's, that's going to be a, a pretty good NHL player, you would think. So what does that mean for the return? Well, let's look at the numbers. One five-on-five goal for Taylor Hall, which shows, okay, this is not the Taylor Hall from the 2017-2018 year when he was an MVP. Uh, The first overall pick in 2010, which the Bruins fans are very familiar with, having had the second pick after Taylor and Tyler Sagan. So, okay, ultimately, they have to answer the question, who is Taylor Hall? And... I don't think he's the Taylor Hall that a lot of people know, but just given the price that they had to pay, which is not much, it's worth it to take a kick at the can for these last 16, 17 games and considering the the needs here in Boston, which are they can't score. So they need that plus Mike Raleigh to get guys like Taylor and like Jake DeBrusque and Patrice Berger on the puck. Well, then you start giving them a chance to get into the conversation with the Washington, with the Islanders, with Pittsburgh, because right now it's just it's just too much JV American League in this lineup to really contend with those top guys. And I mean, you know, it, like you said, it's worth taking a kick at the can, especially if what you're giving up, as again you mentioned, is someone who just didn't work in Boston. So, you know, there's still the question of who is Taylor Hall or what version of Taylor Hall are the Boston Bruins getting? Um, but, you know, they're giving up someone who was scratched five times and didn't necessarily have a natural fit in the Bruins lineup. You know, I know that Taylor Hall is still en route to Boston and it's probably way too early to ask you this question, but where do you see him fitting lineup wise with the Boston Bruins? Second line left wing, most likely Haley. Um, this is, this is a very good opportunity for Taylor, right? Just because He's always been the player that's had to be the guy, whether New Jersey, uh, obviously Edmonton, Arizona, even even in Buffalo, they thought, okay, here's the perfect playmate for Jack Eichel on the first line. Well, he doesn't need to be that guy. They, they've got the best 200-foot left wing in the game in Brad Marchand on the first line. So, and 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 really, maybe he even goes in on the third line just because Nick Ritchie has been a pretty good number two left wing for these guys. Maybe even Taylor goes on the right side on the second line. It's the, the big thing is now Bruce Cassidy has options. It's not just, okay, let's let's try this. Let's try that. Well, now you can try Jake DeBrusque as your number two right wing. Now you can try Craig Smith as your number two right wing. Maybe even David Pasternak as your second line right wing, as long as you know that you have three pretty decent left wings uh, and uh, obviously an elite one on the first line with Brad. But then you follow that up with Taylor Hall, Nick Ritchie, then you start making teams think, okay, we can't just load up on Bergeron, Pasternak, uh, Martian, and then just let let the other lines go. They've got some options here. And then you throw in Lazaro, and, and he, they, he said he's healthy. 
Uh, he's missed some time, but he, he'll be a, a, an okay plug-and-play kind of bottom six player, you would think. Um, and then uh, they just need guys to get healthy. Let's look at the blue line last night. No Charlie McAvoy. No Matt Grizzly. No Brandon Carlo. No Kevin Miller. You, you can't – and then you have – a kid goalie, Dan Vladar, just taking the L in terms of eight goals against, against Washington of all teams, and, and not even Ovechkin scoring. So, uh, yeah, they, to, to get some adult, grown-up players in here, very much needed for the Bruins. Well, speaking on that uh, theme of injuries, let's talk a little bit about the goaltending situation. Tuka Rask has been out for a while, Fluto. Uh, is there any way that the Bruins might need to, in the next 20 minutes or so, uh, address some goaltending help? Do the Boston Bruins need some insurance in the blue paint for the stretch drive? Uh, that, that would be a nice luxury, I think, Ian. But, yeah, because just because, let's let's face it, Tuca's been out for pretty much a month with what we think is a back injury. So a 34-year-old goalie with a bad back, well, that's, that's iffy. Now, he's been skating. There is a chance that he could play tomorrow against Buffalo. Um, if not, uh, maybe sometime later this week. Yaro Halak is on the COVID list. Uh, you would think that he gets back at some point. Um, they've been very pleased with the kid goalie, Jeremy Swayman, who's come in and played three very good games. But we've all seen Carter Hart, Matt Murray. It's just it's, it's very risky to be, to be asking these young guys to come in, especially in this kind of situation, and play. So I don't think they want to mess around with that at all in terms of they have the uh, Tuca and Yaro are, are out of contract after this year. So uh, maybe Tuca comes back next year on a short-term deal. Maybe the Bruins go after a stopgap goalie. But Jeremy Swayman is very much their goalie of the future. So they don't want to mess around with him. So, yes, maybe they do um, go out for some depth if, if the price is right, which is minimal in terms of a pick, a low round pick or a prospect, or just for, for some kind of insurance. You can never have enough, um, just given the importance of the, the position. What we've seen Tuca go through in terms of, of injury, and we all remember what happened last year in Toronto, uh, and they put Halak in a very tough spot. So uh, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised, but... Uh, 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 I, I think defense, uh, a depth defenseman would be uh, a, a little bit higher on their list in terms of priorities. I guess my final question for you, Fluto, and, and you did touch on this a little bit, but do these moves suggest to you that this is a Boston Bruins team who wants to continue to keep their window of contention open? This is a team that does not want to just sit on the outside looking in? No question, Haley. This is because the window is closing Every day, Patrice Bergeron, 35, David Krejci, 34, and and unrestricted after the year, this year. Same thing with Tuca. Brad Marchand, 32. So you, you only get so many opportunities with this group. And we've seen uh, at the start of the year, this was as hard a team to score against as any team in the league. Now they had their issues scoring, uh, and that's been their issue for, for a little while here, even dating back to last year. But – the Bruins think that if they can shore up the defense with Riley and you're going to get McAvoy and Grizzly back at some point, perhaps Carlo in a few weeks, that as long as they can retrieve pucks and get it going the other way and get pucks through from the point, which they've really struggled to do this year, that that goes a, a very long way in initiating the five-on-five -five offense. And if, say, for example, Riley goes back for puck and gets it in transition up to Taylor Hall with speed, 
then that makes it so much easier for these guys to score. Uh, and then you get back to the goalie. Once once Tuka's right and he's healthy, then he's shown he can carry it in the playoffs. So, yes, this is very much a team that with these pieces in place, they can contend. But this year it's just been so goofy with injuries and illness and compressed schedule that the Bruins are dealing with that it's, it's going to be a dogfight to the end just to get in. But if they do get in and if they're relatively healthy and some of these pieces are, are at threshold level in terms of where, where Taylor Hall should be at, then, yes, they can contend with Washington the Islanders. And uh, before we let you go, should we look at that uh, that East division, Fluto? It looks like if Boston is going to make it, it looks like they're going to be the four seed in that division. Is there an opponent amongst Washington, the Islanders, and the Pittsburgh Penguins that you think – matches up uh, better for Boston, meaning what team should Boston hope wins the division if they're the four seed? Well, for just from what we've seen this year in terms of matchups, Ian, they do not match up well against the Islanders for whatever reason. Maybe it's the, uh, I think it's the forecheck, the way that the Islanders just, and this was really when the Bruins were struggling on the back and they would just send it and get it below the, the goal line for the Bruins. And they really, really struggled there. Um, and the goaltending, Barlamov has been great. Uh, the defense is so hard to play against. So Islanders, tough matchup. Washington has been kind of, they, they've been able to hang regardless of the 8-1 thrashing. Um, but I think Pittsburgh is probably the best matchup for the Bruins just because there's there's just a little bit more um, squishiness, if you will, in terms of Pittsburgh's lineup. And who knows what kind of conditioning and health that Malkin is going to be in. So I think they can hang uh, with Pittsburgh. Uh, not as physical as, as the Islanders, not as physical as the Caps. Perhaps more speed for Pittsburgh than those two teams. But I think just overall, it's a better matchup. Not, not that I would think that the Bruins are, 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 are going to walk over the Penguins, but uh, when you're picking against those three opponents, I think they would want prefer to play Pittsburgh versus the other two. All right. Well, Fluto, appreciate your time and your insight. Enjoy the, uh, we got about 15 minutes to go to the deadline. Uh, we'll look forward to your coverage in The Athletic. Thanks for doing this, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Pleasure, guys. Have a good day. All right. You Thank as well. You. And uh, I think all hockey fans want to see Zdeno Chara up against the Boston Bruins in the playoffs. Washington, Boston, make it happen. Hey, speaking of making things happen, Haley, looks like, and we talked about this earlier in the show, that Sam Bennett might be uh, on the move and multiple reports are now coming out uh, suggesting that it's uh, a done deal. So what do we know about Sam Bennett and where could he be headed, Haley? Yeah, well, it looks like from, you know, report. I said reporter Chris. Chris Johnston, he has a name. He is yeah. not his Twitter handle. Reporter reporter Chris. Chris, that's what I call him. Um, no, Chris Johnston and Ryan Leslie as well. He's the local reporter here for Sportsnet. I think Ryan actually got the edge on him by by a minute or so. So we'll give Ryan Leslie his due to um, Ryan Leslie, Chris Johnston and Elliot Friedman have all tweeted that it sounds like Sam Bennett. Um, there is a deal in the works to send Sam Bennett to the Florida Panthers. Um, there's not many details around what the return will be, um, what this trade is going to look like, um, but it does seem like Sam Bennett is going to be on the move. As we mentioned off the top of the show, this is a player who requested a trade. He's been wanting a change of scenery, and I don't believe that this is the first time that this has been requested by Sam Bennett. I think, you know, in previous years there had been, you know, tensions between the two sides, you know, Bennett's camp and the Calgary Flames on his role. 
Um, you know, we're just getting right now from Pierre Lebrun, Sam Bennett being traded to Florida for a second round pick plus a prospect. Um, that is more than I probably would have thought that the Flames would have gotten for Sam Bennett, looking at what the market has been um, from different teams. Some people might call that an overpay. Um, that's a great return for Bradtree living in the Calgary Flames. There was a lot of discourse around um, people saying that Bradtree living was valuing Sam Bennett too high. Um, nobody could agree on a price and, and tree kept it close to the chest. He, he held on to Sam Bennett and that that's a really good return for a guy who wanted a bigger role, who had requested a trade. Um, he was the highest draft pick the flames have ever had. And he just never ended up, you know, producing to the pedigree of a fourth overall pick. Um, he's getting his, his, you know, fresh start, potentially that could be something that kickstarts the playoff Sam Bennett to happen in the regular season. Florida is a very good team. They they're, they're right in it. Um, so I, I'm really, I'm interested to see how this plays out for, for Sam Bennett and the Florida Panthers, but that's a great, um, and it sounds like Emil Heineman is the prospect coming in. Um, so I, I think that's a great return for the Calgary Flames. Yeah, and so we're starting to see some of these uh, close to 3 p.m. Eastern time deals start to trickle through. The Montreal Canadiens have acquired uh, left-hand shooting defenseman Eric Gustafson from the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, according to multiple reports as well. So Eric Gustafson, defenseman, uh, left shot D, goes from Philly to Montreal as the Flyers obviously are starting to move some pieces. Hey, Haley, why don't we stay in that state of Pennsylvania? And bring in Josh Yoey, covers the Pittsburgh Penguins, does a fantastic job doing it. And uh, Josh, first of all, thanks for taking the time to uh, to join us here on this live edition of the Athletic Hockey Show podcast. I think now I don't know, Haley. Do do we have an audio issue with uh, with Josh, or is that just me? I don't know. No, I, I think so. I guess Ian, we can we can. You know what? I will drive the bus for a second here. Do you expect in the next? 12 minutes, the Ottawa Senators to do anything else. I know Ryan Dezingle was somebody who could be on the move. I mean, he seems to only score with the Ottawa Senators, um, yep. but is there much interest in a guy like Ryan Dezingle or any of their other prospects? Yeah, it's, you know what, to be honest with you, when I found it was Elliot Friedman whose tweet I saw first, and he said Eric Gustafson has been traded. I My initial thought was, I wonder if that's a typo from Elliot. Does he mean good Branson? That's what yeah. I thought, but it's not. Uh, you know, I Good Branson's a guy, and Pierre Lebrun has kind of uh, hinted at this too. Eric Good Branson's the type of guy, and I know he's a polarizing person in the analytics community and whatever. But when you get to playoff time, like that's the type of guy that would be able to get away with a few uh, cross checks and different, you know, uh, different things. And so, anyway, that that would be uh, one player I would look at. Ryan Dezingle, absolutely. Uh, there's been some low-level chatter around Chris Tierney, but nothing, you know, I don't think there's going to be anything more significant. Let's try it one more time. Back to Pittsburgh we go. Let's see if we've got him good to go. Better connection this time. Josh Yoey, do we have you? No. No, nope. all is, right. We tried two times with Josh Yoey, but that's the beauty of doing live shows. I love it. This I actually yeah. missed this element of, of doing television <laughs> and, and radio, so I like that. It's a, it's a thrill. Uh, but I, uh, the, the Penguins picked up Jeff Carter, which I thought was an interesting move because, you know, Carter can play a little bit of right wing, actually a little bit of left wing. He can play center. Um, that's a, that's a, that, to me, uh, an interesting deal. In fact, and this is the question I wanted to ask to uh, Josh Yoey. And this one, it's uh, came into us via Facebook from um, one of our viewers here asking, what would you say was the idea behind Jeff Carter to Pittsburgh? I'm a Kings fan. My brother-in-law is a Penguins fan. Neither of us mind the deal, but neither of us really get it either. Well, 
I, I know that in, in kind of reading some of the stuff that Josh has been putting out um, uh, in Pittsburgh and, and some of the stuff, the Penguins have been looking for some depth. And, and a lot of this, too, is I think predicated on Evgeny Malkin. Um, is he going to be healthy? Is he going to come back? Um, they need some help. And, and the Penguins have, I think, they're almost like Boston. I look at Boston and, and Pittsburgh in the same way, Haley. They got one more kick at the can, so to speak, with this group of guys. And they figure, you know what, Jeff Carter – two-time Stanley Cup winner, been to the Cup final three times, bring him in here. You know, he's still got some tread left on the tire. Um, we don't have to give up a first-round pick, anything crazy like that. I think that's the uh, that's the thought process behind the deal. And we'll see. I mean, I, I think obviously Ron Hextall is a big part of this too. you got to remember Ron Hextall would have had some time with Jeff Carter back in the day. And um, the Philadelphia connection is probably, um, you know, important to note there. But – I don't mind the move for Pittsburgh, but I just I don't know that it's going to be a you know a move that 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 all of a sudden I'm looking at the Penguins and saying you know what that's a that's a Stanley Cup contender. I, I kind of feel like they are who they are right now. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a fair assessment, and I wish that we had Josh on here or or even someone like Lisa Dillman who could speak to you know what Jeff Carter brings to the table for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But you know, I I know I saw a lot online about the uh, the move and I think a lot of people on the Kings you know we go back to our earlier discussion about the you know should there be games on these days and you know forgive me I don't know if the Kings are playing today but I do know that this is a has been a difficult 24 hours for the LA Kings organization because you know you you re-sign Iafalo and people are are happy that he's going to be there but then you you're losing a guy in Jeff Carter and I think there's probably a lot of people on the team who who are, you know, feeling the sting of that. And I guess that probably speaks to what he brings to the table in that dressing room. I, I don't think the Penguins are starving for leadership by any means with a guy like Sidney Crosby wearing the C um, with the Penguins. But, you know, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Jeff Carter brings to the table. You know, they're bringing in another veteran presence. Um, again, we don't, you know, it depends on Evgeny Malkin. But, you know, I think this is going to be one where we have to wait and see, you know, what is the plan for Jeff Carter? And those are the kind of questions that I have, you know, what's the plan? What's his fit? What's his role going to be? And ultimately, how is this going to turn out for the Pittsburgh Penguins? And a lot of that is something that, you know, we're either getting from our beat writers or we're getting from just watching how this plays out. Well, Haley, uh, I know that you've got to run because in a couple of minutes, uh, Calgary Flames general manager Brad Treliving is going to be speaking to the media one o'clock Mountain Time, three o'clock Eastern Time. So why don't we uh, do this? We're gonna—it's going to be a crossover episode of the Athletic Hockey Show. You like crossover shows, Haley? Here we go. Let's bring him in from the waiting room. Scott Burnside is the host of the Wednesday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, two-man advantage edition of it. Scott Burnside is ready to hop in here. It's trade uh, deadline day, so why not make the trade? It was one for one, Haley Salvian for Scott Burnside. I I think uh, Haley got ripped off. There's got to be more to that deal than if it's just one for one. So, <laughs> I'm to get my camera here. There we go. Yeah, it, we got your ear there for a second. There we go. Okay. We can it. hear you though, which is great. No, there I think it's deep. good. It's good value. I think Ian is getting um, a very strong partner for the last 30 minutes, and I get to go talk about the Sam Bennett deal and talk yeah. to General Manager Brad Tree Living. So. You guys can debate about who wins, but uh, Ian, it's been fun. Scott, have fun. I'm going to go add my other hat on. I'm going to do some graphs and some charts because I'm the new Dom today. Exactly. I'm the chart girl. 
uh, and the Flames writer. So uh, thanks a lot, Ian, and uh, have a lot of fun with the rest of the show, guys. All right. Looking forward to your coverage yeah, of that, uh, that Sam Bennett trade. Always great to work with you. There goes Haley Salvian. Uh, so Scott Burnside, as we close in on 3 Eastern time, um, what are you? What are just kind of big picture? What have been your impressions of trade deadline day? And even if you want to draw the line back the last forty eight hours or so, like how have you felt about this period leading into uh, into the deadline? Yeah, and thanks for having me aboard. And uh, just want you to know, I'm going to give a hundred percent now that I'm here. I know I've lost something on uh, my lateral movement, and I don't backtrack like I used to, but I am going to give a hundred percent. But no, I, I thought your conversation was interesting about Jeff Carter and. Uh, not to speak for Josh Yoey, but I was talking to an NHL executive this afternoon. We were talking about Jeff Carter, and there's no question in my mind that um, Jeff Carter's connection to Ron Hextall, the new GM in Pittsburgh, had a lot to do with this deal because it was Lisa Doman and I had talked earlier uh, at the beginning of the trade, um, you know, period. You know who, you know who might go, right? I mean, what were the Kings going to do? You know, Dustin Brown have been playing so well. Was there a place for Jonathan Quick, even though he did another two years, I think, left on his deal? Um, Alex Ayafalo, who signed an extension with the Kings today. But Jeff Carter's name never really came up. And and in talking to Lisa, my sense was that he'd made it clear to the Kings, not re- didn't want to go anywhere. He's been in L.A. a long time. And so my guess is that the strong connection with Ron Hextall um, you know, having played with Sidney Crosby internationally, um, that there had to have been something there that made sense for that deal to go through. And I talked to this NHL executive. He said, I love this ad because he, I know he's a natural center, but he has played quite a bit on the wing. That's sort of been his thing the last couple of years. And this executive said, very few guys shoot the puck still like Jeff Carter. And, and again, I think in, in terms of depth, uh, and Rob Rossi and I were chatting earlier today. He sort of likened this to the 09 deadline out of Bill Guerin, a, a guy. Now the, the Penguin locker rooms in a much different place than they were in 09. But I, I think the idea that Jeff Carter is just going to come in two-time Cup winner, as you mentioned, I, I think that's a nice ad for a Penguin team that is right in the hunt, right? I mean, I you know I know you mentioned Boston. Boston's in a different space. Uh, you know, in terms of the standings, and I, this Penguin team has surprised a lot of people, I think, and, and they are really good. I, I'm still, I don't know about the goaltending. Is it a four-round deep goaltending duo there? I don't know that, but that Penguin team is better than people think, and they got a lot of interesting moving parts, and I like the Jeff Carter ad there. And you know what? I think it's since March the 5th or 6th, Scott, Sidney Crosby's tied for the league lead in points, and it's one of the most remarkable stories, and – at 33 and change, Sidney Crosby is uh, as dominant. He, look, he's probably not going to get a ton of love for the Hart Trophy. That's going to go to McDavid and, and you know a couple of other uh, names are going to get to more consideration. But what Sidney Crosby has done this year, this might be some of his most impressive work because, you know, Malkin's been sidelined. Uh, the teams, the goaltending, you know, at the beginning of the year, Casey DeSmith and Tristan Jari were giving them like 870 save percentage. It felt like yep. they were surviving. And Sid has just been dynamite this season, Scott. Yeah, well, and you know what? This uh, this team reminds me a little bit of 2017. You know, they're coming off the cup win in 16, and, you know, Crystal Tang was hurt, and you know, there was, like, who repeats? No one repeats, and but it was Sidney Crosby, right, who, who was such, you know, just as he has really since day one, just driving that machinery, and um, 
I just, I, you know, even the turmoil, which Jim Rutherford abruptly stepping away and Ron Hexall coming in and Brian Burke, I loved his comment was to a, a, a another Canadian network and uh, something about, you know, we're not, we're not kissing people's butts to have them come play here. And it goes back to what my sense is Jeff Carter would have really wanted to be there, that there wouldn't have been, you know, like if you don't want to go and play with Sid and Malkin, okay, they probably don't want you. And I just, I think this Penguin team is going to be interesting. That whole East division, the Islanders, Washington, Pittsburgh, I assume Boston hangs on, although boy, you watched them last night and it's not pretty there, but let's assume Boston hangs on. I, whatever the final standings, those playoff matchups are going to be fascinating to watch unfold. And, and the Penguins are right there. And as we uh, close in on three Eastern time, why don't we take a break? And on the other side, uh, we'll be on the other side of three Eastern time. And we can kind of maybe uh, start to digest some of the deals uh, that have taken place here at the 2021 NHL trade deadline. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream direct TV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And as we head back on the other side, as I said, of three Eastern time, technically the horn is sounded, but Scott Burnside, you've been around this game long enough to know sometimes uh, well past three Eastern time, we find out about some deals. But uh, have you been at least, um, I guess, um, satisfied with the amount of activity, even if you think last few days, getting names like Nick Foligno and David Savard and Jeff Carter and uh, Taylor Hall moving, you know, a couple of weeks ago, there were some people suggesting you're not going to see anything at the deadline because of the flat cap and the pandemic. But I would say that this was a decent trade deadline vis-a-vis -vis the expectations we may have had going into it. Yeah, no, I think you're right on, Ian. And I was a little bit surprised that so many GMs decided to do middle-of-the-night trades last night. It was uh, a little bit disconcerting. It, it should be a moratorium, right? You, at 10 o'clock Eastern or whatever, got to put the phones away till the next morning. In fact, I think I recall Aaron Portsline getting a text from Yarmo Kekalainen, and I can't remember whether it was last year at the trade deadline, and Yarmo was like, I've opened a bottle of red. You can rest easy. See, that's the kind of... You, you like that kind of communication with the GM, but no, I, I, I think your point's an excellent one. I, I don't think anyone really had a sense of what was going to happen because of all those factors. I mean, you throw in the Vancouver uh, uh, COVID outbreak situation and their um, uncertain schedule, all those kinds of things. Uh, uh, the Seattle expansion uh, draft looms large for, again, because all these things are interconnected, but, you know, acquire a player if he's got term left on his deal. Now it does it create an additional layer of uh, problem for GM uh, with the expansion draft. So, and I think that's why you saw a lot of players on expiring deals go. Um, 
and, and in the past, you know, a year ago or last year, you know, two years ago, uh, GMs might have been more prone to seek out players with term, pay a little bit more for those players. This year, I think it was the opposite because of the expansion draft uh, and the flat cap. So, uh, no, I think I think there's been lots of of interest, and I think the major players, right, the the, the big, the, you know, the 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 high end teams, the, the true Stanley Cup contenders. I, I was fascinated to watch Joe Sakic, you know, recently, you know, within the last fifteen or twenty minutes, adding Carl Soderberg, another player that he knows well, uh, on top of adding Patrick Nemeth, who. Um, I thought was absolutely terrific in his time in Colorado. And I think he fits very nicely there. I was a bit skeptical of Devin Dubnik as the backup goalie for Philip Grubauer, but I talked to a goalie, um, former NHL goaltender and analyst today. And he said, you know, really he's been pretty good the last little while and felt that he, uh, with the experience that he had, that Dubnik was going to be a very nice fit in Colorado. So, you know, the, that's a team that most of us would have liked as a top three or four team in the NHL. Uh, they're even closer, I think, to being cup worthy than they were 24 hours ago or 30 hours ago. You know, as we kind of scroll through uh, the social media here and uh, get past three o'clock, our colleague in Minnesota, Mike Russo, has reported the Wild have not done anything. They have stood pat on deadline day. I'm, the Wild were a, such a curious team for me, Scott, because – I think at the start of the year, I don't think anybody thought, you know, you didn't know what they were going to be, but they've been one of the pleasant surprises. And I yeah. wonder, I wonder what the fan base is thinking in, in a year in which you're definitely making the playoffs. Like there's no doubt about that. Yeah. You're, you're making the playoffs that you didn't do anything at the deadline. I wonder how much uh, heat will be on uh, Bill Guerin and company in Minnesota, or will people just be happy that they were kind of status quo? But I think it's interesting. A team like Minnesota didn't do anything today. Yeah, no, it is interesting, but um, I'm not surprised. I, I think. And, and I think there are teams who are in this same kind of, um, you know, sort of where they are in their evolutionary arc. And and I think of a team like the New York Rangers. Now, they aren't where the Wild are, which is, and I agree with you, in guaranteed playoff spot in the West. I thought they'd be scrambling for fourth. Um, but I, I think what you, if I'm Bill Guerin and I look at this team and I see some of the young players who've really stepped into the four for the Wild – um, a lot of their veteran players are transitioning to smaller roles. You guys like, especially Zach Parise. We know that uh, Miguel Koivu, of course, left and then retired. Um, but and, and he does at some point he's going to have to deal with Matt Dumba. Um, and I think everyone expected after Jonas Brodin got the contract extension that at some point, you know, Bill Guerin would try and find a place for Matt Dumba, and, and he's a kind of uh, defenseman that should yield um, a pretty good return. But at the deadline, maybe a little bit harder. And my sense of Bill Guerin is, listen, I'll deal with that before the expansion draft. Right now, this is a team is going to have a, an unexpected playoff experience. I think it would it's a huge order for them to beat either Vegas or Colorado in the first round. I mean, let's let's be honest. But for, if I'm Bill Guerin, I want to I want to see how those kids perform. I want to see what that room looks like when they have the opportunity to play in a playoff series against one of the top two or three teams in the NHL. And then you can sort of make some decisions after that. Who shows? Who? How do they respond? Um, and I think it's going to be a terrific learning experience for. Everyone in that lineup, I think it's going to be a great learning experience for Bill Guerin. Uh, and, of course, Dean Evison, who, in my mind, has to be in the top three or four 
in, in terms of Jack Adams consideration. I, I just think he's done a great job there. So I'm not really surprised that you know, Matt Gumbel was the obvious guy, I think. But I don't think you want to be making an ad and disrupting your plan for the future. Um, and especially if it means maybe pushing down one of those young players who's earned the spot, uh, whether it's on a second power play unit or in a top nine position. So I'm not surprised. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the wild uh, finish out the, the, the stretch run and, and how they fare in the first round of the playoffs. Well, we've got uh, some more deals coming in and uh, Pierre Lebrun, our colleague and your co-host on the uh, Wednesday edition of the athletic hockey show, two man advantage podcast. Uh, the Ottawa senators have made a deal. Scott, Eric Branson was an interesting name uh, on his way to the music city. So Eric Branson to Nashville in exchange for a seventh round pick in 2023. We've gotten to the point where we're now trading picks in 2023. And I think one of the interesting um, elements of all of this, Scott, is general managers being so kind of unsure about the 2021 draft. I think a lot of them yeah. would rather punt down the road and say, you know what, I'd rather have a year where our scouts are in the building and these kids are playing full seasons. Uh, give me a draft pick in 2022 or 2023 rather than 2021, right? Yeah, no question. And I think there's a level of, of certainty or the expectation of more certainty when you look down that road. I, I heard you and Haley talking a little bit about Eric Goodbranson. And um, it, to me, he's an interesting guy, obviously a physically imposing uh, player. And, uh, you know, he's bounced around. I, I thought, you know, for me, I thought the brief period of time he spent in Pittsburgh um, and the Penguins have a real history of, of reclamation projects on the back end. Jeff Schultz is one of them. Um, I think they're doing it right now with Mike Matheson. Um, but I thought Eric Goodbranson was really good there in the brief time he was there. And I like this ad because I think Nashville's the number four team in the Central. Um, and they certainly did pivot from being one of the top potential sellers at the trade deadline a month ago to – you know, here they are at the very end, bolstering a blue line. They've had all kinds. Their injury list is unbelievable. But Ryan Ellis just now back in the lineup. Um, I like this idea because there's going to be some physicality. Let's assume, you know, they're going to play either Carolina or Tampa in the first round. That would be my guess with all due respect to Florida. Um, and to me, if you're going, if you're Nashville, the way to affect an upset over those two very talented teams it is to it is to play a heavy game against them. And um, I think Goodbranson's a nice fit there. And I, I think John Hines is going to like that. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm sensing a theme here um, of, of defensemen getting traded after 3 p.m. These are starting to trickle in. Uh, ben Hutton is now on the move. And Ben Hutton also, like Eric Goodbranson, played in Vancouver. Played in Anaheim, just like Good Branson, and he's on the move. Ben Hutton, according to our man uh, Pierre LeBrun, uh, going to Toronto for what uh, Pierre LeBrun is saying is a um, mid-round draft pick. So the Toronto Maple Leafs only have three picks in the upcoming draft. Uh, anyway, I think they're saying, you know what, we're going all in if you're Kyle yeah. Dubas. But there's another move. I don't mind the Toronto Maple Leafs kind of uh, going going all in. This is the year to do it, right, Scott? Like, you you know the, the history of this team. You know they haven't won a playoff round in 17 years. You know that this is their best chance to get to the Final Four. If you're Kyle Dubas, you're not thinking about the draft in June or July or in next year. You're thinking about the next 12 weeks. And Ben Hutton and David Riddick and then Nick Foligno, these are all moves to try and bolster a, a team that's been pretty good lately and, and put them over the uh, over the hump. 
Yeah, no, I, I've got no problem with the all in mentality. And, you know, it's, it, I mean, the problem is if, you, if you're going to be all in, you just got to be prepared to take a kick in the shins. If you, you know, like, let's say they play Montreal. And I think that's a, a likely first round scenario. I love the Habs depth. I like what Mark Bergevin has done during this trade deadline period. I know the team's not playing very well right now. Um, I think come playoff time, though, that depth is going to be fascinating to see how it matches up against a Leaf team that is much deeper now than they were, you know, at the start of the weekend. And I like a lot of what uh, Kyle Dubas has done. Uh, Sheldon Keefe has lots of options now, and especially if Alex Galchenyuk continues to play, um, as well as he's shown in a very sort of brief opportunity playing with the big club. Um, so, yeah, no, I've got no problem with it. I mean, the issue is if you're one and done, uh, you've spent a lot. Uh, you send a lot of assets out and have nothing to show for it. And, um, you know, that's what you hope a guy like Nick Foligno, um, that's why you hope that Wayne Simmons and Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza, that when when that bump in the road hits in that first round, because let's say it happened, you know, you're down 2-1 in a series or down 3-2, that those are the guys that get you back uh, in control of a series. And if it doesn't happen, then you have to, you know, then you have to suffer the the, the consequences of public opinion or whatever happens. Um, but I like I like that. I, and there have been a couple, you know, Lou Lamorello, same thing in with the New York Islanders, pushing the chips in. Um, again, Julian Breezeball in Tampa, second year in a row, um, making bold moves and saying, I'm I'm paying a lot, but I believe that these pieces are critical to, well, in this case now, potentially winning a second straight Stanley Cup. You know, I think it's interesting. The Dallas Stars are an interesting team, too. Went to the Stanley Cup final last year, Scott. Uh, our colleague Sean Shapiro has uh, just tweeted out that Jim Nill is going to speak to the media around just before 3.30 Eastern time, and it's his indication that by doing that, Dallas Stars probably haven't done anything of significance. What a weird spot for the Stars, right? I mean, they've got games in hand on Nashville. Theoretically, they're in the playoff race, but they're they're kind of there, but they're not. Um what do you make of uh, Jim Nill uh, apparently standing pat at the deadline here? Yeah, interesting day, though, for the Stars in that they collect Sammy Vatanen off waivers um, from the New Jersey Devils. And I think a lot of people felt, well, that means now that the Stars may be looking to move Jamie Alexiak, scored a highlight real goal last night. And I know I watched the game and people were like, oh, this could be his last goal as a Dallas Star. But I, I think Jim Nill would like to keep Jamie Alexiak. And um, you know, stars are in such a tough spot. You mentioned not just with the schedule and they have games in hand. I, I just don't see how they, I, I mean, yes, they are still in the hunt. Um, I think though, that the, the hole that they've been put in, uh, due in large part to their early outbreak and the, and the compressed schedule, uh, I believe Andres Cara was injured. And so that might've led to the Sammy Vatten and ad, but you keep Jamie Oleksiak in the, in the fold. I'm more curious to see how Jim Neal Jim Neal handles this team moving forward. Uh, you've got Tyler Sagan, who has yet to play this season. Now he's back skating, but hasn't played this season. Jamie Ben, two of them combining for north of $19 million against the cap. Uh, John Klingberg has one more year left on his deal. And next year at this time, you have to pay John Klingberg and Miro Haskinen. Uh, you just, there's so much... There's so little wiggle room. And those the Sagan and Ben contracts are just they 
they're make life very difficult for Jim Nill. So it'll be interesting to see what they do moving forward. I think it's an uphill battle for them to make the playoffs, but they're one of those teams that if, if somehow, if they're able to reel in Nashville, um, what about a Stanley cup final rematch in the first round against Tampa could easily happen. Um, it would be fascinating to see if they could get healthy and they can sneak into the playoffs. Yeah, definitely changes the dynamics. I just, I think it's too big an uphill hill uphill road i think yeah you know what and the team uh, that is in between uh, nashville and uh, uh dallas is uh is chicago blackhawks mark lazarus is going to join us here in a second just to talk about chicago uh here at deadline day they're kind of in that awkward spot i also want to get your take here scott if possible on the st louis blues a team that uh i think a lot of us just went ahead and penciled in oh they're going to be a playoff team no problems <laughs> there but they've kind of become uh unhinged unglued in the last few weeks but they don't do anything in and around the trade deadline. Does that surprise you at all? And, and uh, the guy, you know, I was looking, you know, looking at Hoffman and he had been scratched and you had looked at some other pieces and you thought, you know what, they're going to do something. They didn't do anything today and looks like they're uh, standing pat. <laughs> well, and the interesting part with Doug Armstrong, the GM there, uh, also GM of Team Canada for the Olympics in uh, 2022 in Beijing. And uh, he's not a guy who's been afraid to make moves, even though his team has been, you know, in and around the playoff picture, uh, you know, traded Kevin Shattenkirk one year at the deadline. Um, the next year traded Paul Stastny. Uh, the one, I believe the year they traded Kevin Shattenkirk, they made the playoffs and, and beat Minnesota in the first round. So I, I was a bit surprised um, that, that Doug Armstrong didn't make one, at least one move, but um I think it may be one of those things that the, you mentioned Mike Hoffman, you know, it's not a huge exposure for that team it was one year deal started in the season on a PTO. So, but he hasn't been what I think people thought he was going to be, but maybe these moments are are what will help to solidify um, him and the rest of that lineup down the stretch with all due respect to Arizona, St. Louis should be that team. They should be the fourth team in that, West division. And, you know, as we were talking about Dallas, if St. Louis is in the playoffs and we assume good health and maybe a little bit more swagger from Jordan Bennington, that's still a team very much built as they were in 2019 when they won their first Stanley cup. Um, They're a team that you can't take lightly. Uh, It'll be interesting to see. Maybe this is what gives Mike Hoffman a jolt down the stretch. So um, I still like the Blues as one of those teams that come playoff time, assuming they're there, uh, you can't snooze on them because they the way they're built. Uh, you know, one of the, uh, the Blues' biggest historical rivals, not in the same division this year, but usually they are, Chicago Blackhawks. Mark Lazarus is uh, all set to, to, uh, to join us here on this uh, trade deadline day. Uh, Mark, first of all, good afternoon. Thanks for doing this. Oh, no problem. Happy to. Hey, listen, first question for you is, what's the feeling in Chicago amongst the fans? Are, are they hoping that Chicago can somehow land that fourth playoff spot? Or, or is the feeling like, you know what, Nashville's been too hot lately, that ship has sailed. How are, how are Chicago fans feeling about the stretch drive with their team right now? Honestly, it's pretty mellow in Chicago right now. People feel like they're playing with house money to a degree because nobody expected anything this year. You know, when, when Doc broke his wrist and then Jonathan Taze was out and they were going to be bad to begin with, they let Corey Crawford walk. People were expecting like Buffalo levels of disaster here. And it really hasn't been that. It's been kind of a fun season if you're a Hawks fan. Lots of rookies in the lineup. Lots of guys scoring their first goals. Some excitement for the future. Uh, and here they are just, a, you know, a four points behind Nashville for that fourth spot. I don't think anyone's expecting them to get it. I don't think anyone will be too broken up if they don't. 
Um, but you know, they are where they are. They're in that mushy middle, which, you know, they're not going to get a top five pick probably, but that's okay because they've gotten enough out of this season that the pick is less important than the progress. So I think everyone's kind of mildly content, which is a, an unusual feeling in Chicago. Hey, I, you know, I noticed you've been waving the Stan Bowman pom-poms and, uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm being slightly facetious, but honestly, I, I think Stan Bowman had a pretty darn good trade deadline period. I, I thought the return for, Matthias Yanmark, as you noted, I was looking at myself and one, what, one goal in his last 14, I think, and goalless in his last 10. And, you know, not to run down Matthias Yanmark, but really, you know, his he, his effectiveness was much earlier in this season. Um, but uh, nice return uh, from Vegas uh, in that deal. I thought the Carl Soderberg deal um Worked out pretty well. I love. I like him going back to Colorado. But I think Stan Bowman has done a nice job of sort of tinkering and and really sort of capitalizing, as you point out, on a on a maybe unexpected season from this young team. Yeah, I mean, I think he's had a good a good deadline. He's had some bad years these last few years, but he's had a nice little run now. And you know, you go back to last week or whenever it was where he got Vinny Henestrosa for basically nothing. Comes in, he's got assists on his first two games. He's playing on the second line. He's got some chemistry with Dominic Kubalik early. Uh, he picked up Brett Connolly because they can eat that contract. You know, if Connolly is the, is the player he was in Florida and, and doesn't produce. Well, you know, it's not that big a deal. They got more out of that deal with Henrik Borkstrom and Riley Stillman, but they think that Connolly can be a player. They need depth scoring. They just traded Yanmark. They just traded Soderberg. You know, they took on a guy with a little bit of term. It's manageable term because they have so much cap space, which is such a commodity now. Um, so they, they, they've made the most of what they got. And to get a second and a third for Matthias Yanmark, who, like you said, has fallen off the map. And even when he was scoring, I like the player a lot. The analytics say he's one of the worst players in the league. Like, like statistically disastrous. Yeah, it's really bad analytics. It was it was fun. Like every game, me and Scott Powers were like, well, here's the eye test. Looks great. Let's look at the numbers. Oh my God, it was awful. So I don't know what to make exactly of Matias Yanmark, but I like him as a player. But you know, you're gonna hear this a lot over the next couple of days. He got this pretty much the same as Taylor Hall. Yeah. So yeah. I, how could you how could you be upset with that when if you're the Blackhawks if Matias Yanmark got you what you know Taylor Hall got uh, Buffalo? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't Taylor Hall spelled H-A-U-L, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, uh, I'd love to know, uh, pick your brain a little bit about uh, Adam Gaudet ends up in Chicago. Yep. Uh, what's the fit like there and uh, why they make that trade with Vancouver? Well, I mean, they, they, they didn't really give up much for him. Matthew Highmore is a nice player. He's a, he's a good guy in the room. He works his butt off, um, but he's never really been all that productive, and he's been a scratch for most of this year. So why not flip him to another place? See, Gaudet's got a, a higher ceiling. I mean, he's a Hobie Baker winner. He, he had a pretty productive year last year. I know his analytics aren't great either, but the change of scenery. Stan Bowman's a big believer in the change of scenery. It's when, you know, look at Alex Nylander and look at Dylan Strome before him. He likes picking up these guys that have a good pedigree but haven't exactly succeeded elsewhere. Henrik Borkstrom, another case of that. Um, so it, it, it's taking a flyer on a guy. I mean, if he could play that third or fourth line role for the Blackhawks, that's fine. They got a lot of guys that can play that role. So if he doesn't work out, he's an RFA after the season and you can do what you want with him. Uh, it's a pretty low risk middle reward move. I would call it. There's nothing wrong with it. And Highmore had, you know, very little future in, in the organization. So, you know, why not take a chance? Well, Mark, uh, Hey, listen, I really appreciate uh, you dropping by. Uh, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for doing this. And, uh, Enjoy the right. Well, trade deadline day is essentially coming gone, but we look forward to your uh, your coverage on the uh, the Hawks and the Athletic uh, coming up here in the next few hours. All right, thanks, guys. See you, Laz. See ya. All right, there goes Mark Lazarus covering the Chicago Blackhawks. Hey, some more trades have just come in here as we wrap up our uh, live show, and it looks like Pierre LeBrun uh, reporting that uh, looks like Hayden Fleury might be on the move uh, out of uh, Carolina. We're kind of waiting word there. 
and that kind of brings that's an interesting point if if Hayden Fleury gets moved as we look around uh around the league how much of a factor do you think Scott is the upcoming expansion draft where teams are kind of thinking you know what I'm not going to be able to protect this guy I may as well try and get something for him and it's, particularly there's teams like Colorado Carolina St. Louis who people looked at and Minnesota too I think to some extent said you know what they're going to have some defensemen that are available. Now might be the time to uh, to make a deal. Yeah, and I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there, in uh, with Hayden Fleury, who, you know, the 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 Hurricanes when they're healthy are, in my mind, as deep as any team along the blue line. Just um, they were my preseason Stanley Cup pick. I have no reason to, uh, you know, to make a change there. Uh, but they, I think they were already reconciled. They're going to lose a good player. Uh, to Seattle at the expansion draft, but you're right. If you if you have a player like a Hayden Fleury, uh, young player, pretty good upside. Uh, I don't know what the return would be, but um, that's a that's a move that makes sense to me. And it's a Carolina team that uh, you know they got their shopping done uh, early uh, with Paquette coming from Ottawa, uh, Stanley Cup winner, a guy with lots of sand, and uh, you know plays in that three the third fourth line. Um, role there. Uh, so I wasn't surprised that Don Waddell wasn't overly busy and especially with um, Peter Morazic coming back from injury um, that might've, you know, changed their viewpoint on the goaltending, but I like the Canes where they're at now. And I'm frankly not surprised that at this kind of deal, because it does uh, maybe make things a little bit easier for them come the Seattle expansion draft. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, here's the details from Pierre Lebrun. It is Hayden Fleury to Anaheim in exchange for a sixth round draft pick and Yanni Hackenpa. So that's the that's the deal there. Um, Anaheim obviously uh, moving out some pieces today and they're, they're clearly in like that kind of rebuild phase in uh, in Anaheim. Right. Yeah. Like where they. Yeah, no question. And actually, this Hackenpaw's he's a big fellow, if my memory serves correctly. And I know having put together a shadow finish uh, Olympic roster, he was sort of on the edge of my of, of my finish roster. I'm trying to remember who I spoke. I spoke to a Finnish executive who he humored me by that he might be on the radar uh, for the Finnish Olympic team, but a uh, big fellow. And um, yeah, no, it, it's interesting. And, and a guy, again, I think if you're Carolina, you, you're probably, you know, it's a, it's a depth guy, but it's not really necessarily a playoff depth guy, but, but maybe next year down the road. So good for, good for them to, to make that kind of move in. And you're right. Anaheim still, man, still not sure exactly what, you know, what that team has and and how close they might be. It uh, it's been a struggle the last few years in Anaheim, and um, maybe Hayden Fleury helps uh, helps that team turn a corner. Yeah, it got some great young pieces. We'll we'll read a a, a comment from a viewer here to wrap up. But first, uh, Jordy Ben has also been traded. So the, we talked about the Winnipeg Jets. One of the things on Kevin Shevel day offs to do list was get a defenseman, get somebody to come in and bolster that blue line because I think. At the when we look back, the most significant trade of the year is what he did with Columbus in bringing Pierre Luc Dubois there. So he did a lot of his work already. Shovel Dayoff did uh, up front. He needed to add something on the back end. He's done that, Scott. It's a sixth round pick that goes to the Vancouver Canucks. Jordy Ben to the Winnipeg Jets. Where do you put Winnipeg? As we kind of put a wrap on this show as well. Where do you put Winnipeg in terms of the North Division? And do you think? they are neck and neck with the Toronto Maple Leafs. 
Yeah, it's a great question. And and I do like Jordy Ben as an ad there. You know, maybe someone a little bit younger, a little bit more mobile if you you know if you if you had your druthers if you were able to um you know to to land someone else uh but good thing about jordy ben lots of experience great guy in the room what should fit in right i mean you you know i think listen in a perfect world the jets are are adding a top four defenseman and that's that's not jordy ben um but you've added some defensive depth and with lots of experience um I still think this team, and let's assume good health going into the playoffs. I know, uh, you know, they've been missing, uh, you know, various key parts at various times, like lots of teams. But let's assume good health, which I think is is reasonable to expect. And I think that you're going to see Pierre-Luc Dubois. Um, if you get what we have seen from him, certainly last year in the playoffs against Toronto and Tampa, um, that forward group in Winnipeg is a beast. Yeah. Um, and I like them. I, I still think Toronto wins the North. I think Win- Winnipeg settles into the second spot. So now you, you look at a Winnipeg Edmonton first round series. I think that's a great matchup for, for Winnipeg as much as any matchup against Leon Drezettel and Connor McDavid is a good matchup, but I, I just think that Winnipeg's depth, um, w- will put them in, in great, in a great position in that kind of series. And if we see a Toronto Winnipeg second round series in the North, I don't know. I, I like, I, I just love the goaltending. I love Paul Maurice's coaching handle. Uh, I think that would be an epic second round series. So uh, I, I like the Winnipeg Jets a lot. I'd like them from the start of the year. I know a lot of people imagine they might be sixth. Uh, I like them as a surefire top four team and and they are going to be a handful um, and Jordy Ben's going to help that, I think. Yeah. And as we wrap up the show, like I said, uh, we got a, a question here. We're going to tackle this one. Comes in from Jerry on Facebook who wants to know, Scott, um, what about the teams that should have made a move today but didn't? I don't think the Minnesota Wild falls in that category. So is there any team that kind of stood pat to you or didn't do enough at the deadline that you're like, you know what? I think you needed to do something at the trade deadline. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that uh, right off the top of my head, I'm not sure that there is one that fits that sort of bill. You know, I was curious about what Philadelphia was going to do, and they're not really, I mean, they're not really in it anymore, frankly. Um, and again, I don't think the Rangers, even though the Rangers had still have a shot, that team is, you don't want to be tinkering with that. So I I wasn't expecting anything from the Rangers on, on that front. Uh, some of the teams like Montreal had done a fair amount of their work beforehand with Eric Stahl coming in. Uh, so I... Apologies there. I don't know if we've uh, did we lose Scott Burnside right at the end, or is it just me now solo? I'm not sure. We got a frozen Scott Burnside. At least I do. Okay, tell you what. This is. I don't want everyone to look at Scott Burnside and have that be the lasting memory of Scott Burnside is just him with his face frozen there. But uh, uh, appreciate Scott uh, jumping on here. That uh, pretty much puts a wrap on uh, this edition of the Athletic Hockey Show, the live edition that we were able to do for you on this trade deadline as we start to kind of tally up the numbers here um some of these might change but a total of 16 trades were engineered today involving uh 22 players and it looks like 15 draft picks uh changed hands so you know what for all of the talk that this was going to be a quiet trade deadline day i think this was pretty good and especially if you draw the line back a few days and realize uh that the likes of david savard and jeff carter and nick felino and taylor hall uh changed uh, teams 
it was pretty uh, interesting. We really appreciate all of you following along live with us here on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you were on this trade deadline day. Thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to listen to us or if you're doing this on the podcast uh Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave a rating and review, as you know. We would always appreciate that. Uh, The frozen Scott Burnside, he's going to be unfrozen, I promise, in time for Wednesday uh, when the two-man advantage edition of the Athletic Hockey Show comes your way with Pierre Lebron. I'll be back in this chair on Thursday with Down Goes Brown, Sean McIndoo. And uh, a reminder that annual subscriptions to The Athletic, you can get uh, get them for $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.